Well, there's good news and uh, there's also some bad news. So, uh, which do you want first? Bad news. <laughs> it is quite a phenomenon when you talk, talk to somebody and you uh, go through this little routine. Uh, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And there's that pause. And if they don't respond immediately, you ask them, well, which would you like first? Uh, and you know they're just gauging you when you say that. They're trying to determine, is the good news going to offset the bad news? Is the good news that much better than the bad news? Or is the bad news going to swallow up whatever the good news uh, might be? Just, just this week, I had a salesman in my office who came in. And he's, he's been pursuing us and asking us to uh, do some business with him for months. And he's been through the identification of need process. He's been through the proposal process. He's presented. And now he's ready to give me what it's actually going to cost. And he said, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is that if you decide to do this, it's actually going to save you money. The bad news is it's going to cost twice as much as what I had originally thought it was going to cost. It wasn't that really good news. <laughs> so much of the Bible is good news, bad news, isn't it? Even the gospel, which means good news, there's an element of bad news in the gospel too. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we study His Word. Father, thank You so much for this incredible passage of Scripture that You've given to us. I pray, Lord, that uh, we will do justice to it today, Lord. Not just in the preaching of the Word, which I ask, I do ask, Lord, that You would bless the preaching of Your Word. But not just in the preaching of Your Word, the speaking of Your Word, but in the hearing of Your Word as well. I pray that for every single person within sound of my voice, that we will respect and honor your word which lasts forever, and that you will use your word, Lord, to cut into our hearts, cut away what needs to be cut away, heal what needs to be healed. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We're in Isaiah chapter 52. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 52. And you should have uh, adequate resources in front of you. If you don't have your Bible, perhaps you have one of our Isaiah journals that we created so that you could follow along with us as we take this uh, six-month journey through the book of Isaiah. And maybe you have this handout that we prepared for you as well. Uh, regardless, you should have the Word of God there in some form or fashion so that you can uh, follow along. So... Our first focal passage today is Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through 10. And uh, I want you to listen for good news in this passage, and possibly even some bad news. Hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices. 
shouting for joy together. For every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. Be joyful. Rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed His holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Do you see the good news in this passage? Was there any bad news in this passage? Today I want to look at the herald. I want to look at the watchman. And I want to look at the servant. We're going to see all three of these people in the passages that we studied today. And in that first introductory passage, Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through 10, we saw both the herald and the watchman. In the ancient world, the herald was very, very important. It was the herald's job in a day before we had almost instant worldwide communication. In a day before we had telephones and iPhones and telegraphs and satellite communications, in a day before all of that quick-paced, almost instantaneous communication, the herald was the bearer of news. Often the herald would be in great physical shape because he had a message, but he had to run that message to the king or to the armies or, or to whomever needed to hear the message. The herald had a very important job. Often they were in great physical shape. I think of the ancient Greek runner Pheidippides who brought the message of the victory of the Greeks over the Persians back to Athens. And he screamed out, Nike, Nike, victory, victory. And so he shared the news of the great Greek victory at the Battle of Marathon, one of the most important battles of all time. And he ran approximately 26.2 miles. And it was news of the Battle of Marathon, and now you know why the Marathon is called the Marathon. But the herald was so important. And in this passage here in Isaiah chapter 52, we see a herald. Verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald. And don't you think that it's interesting that... Isaiah is concerned about the feet of the herald because a runner's got to have good feet. And he says, how beautiful are those feet when the herald brings good news. You know, sometimes heralds didn't bring good news. Sometimes they brought bad news as well. Sometimes heralds would compete for the honor of bringing the good news to the king. And if it was bad news, the heralds would back off because they didn't want to be the bearer of bad news. But Isaiah 52, 7 says that this herald had really good news. He's proclaiming peace. He's bringing news of good things. He's proclaiming salvation. Listen to his message. Like what Weston mentioned earlier today. Rest. Peace. Good news. Salvation. And perhaps the most important message of all, this herald says, your God reigns. And in a day when there were competing worldviews and competing gods, to know that your God was the one that was winning or would win, that was great news. It's like that today, too. We have competing worldviews. Maybe not 
false gods to the same level that they had back then that actually had names. Our false gods are much more subtle. But in a world of competing world, in a world of competing worldviews, how good it is to know that our God reigns. That may be the best news of all. That may be the most important message. So we've looked at the herald in this passage. Let's look at somebody else. Let's look at the watchman. Now the herald had an important job. But the watchman had an important job also. The watchman is often known for his good eyesight because he would stand on the city walls and he would watch for clouds of dust because he knew that that meant troops were coming this way. Or if the king had gone out to do battle, he would be watching to see if the king and his banner see if they were coming back. Watchmen had to be known for their patience and diligence. They were also known as men of great responsibility because many times in ancient cities, the gates would be open and it was the watchman's responsibility to make sure that no one was, no one was coming against the city. And if he saw that there were enemies coming against the city, it was his job to sound the alarm and make sure that those gates were shut in time. What is the message of the watchman here in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 8 through 10? Listen again, the voices of your watchmen. They lift up their voices, shouting for joy together. For every eye will see when the Lord returns together. Be joyful, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. What was the watchman's message? Well, first it was a message of unity. I think of David in Psalm 133 who said, How beautiful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And those weren't just idle words for David because David knew what it was like to live with brothers who were not dwelling together in unity. In his own family, in his extended family, David loved unity. These watchmen are singing the message together and it says, shouting for joy together. In verse 9 it says, be joyful, rejoice together, together, together. It's a message of unity. And how sweet it is when brothers and sisters in Christ can pull together and work in unity. There's also a message here that the Lord has comforted His people. All through Isaiah, especially Isaiah 1-39, through it's a lot of bad news. Judgment is coming. Destruction is coming. And then when we get to Isaiah 40, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, the message changes. And these watchmen have a good message, not only of unity, but of comfort. And why can they be comforted? Because the Lord has bought back Jerusalem. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed His mighty power. Just like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, when God made the sun stand still, the Lord revealed His great power. But the most important message of the watchman is this. The king is coming. The king is coming back. You see it there? The voices of the watchmen lift up their, they lift up their voices together and they shout because every eye will see when the Lord returns to Jerusalem. And that's why we do Palm Sunday. Because on Palm Sunday, the people, every eye saw the king coming into Jerusalem. 
the Lord returning to Zion. It's the most important message. It's the best news of the day. And the watchmen introduced the following verses to us. And in essence, they're introducing the servant. We've seen the herald. We've seen the watchman. And now we're going to see the servant. The next focal passage, Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. I want you to listen once again for good news and possibly some bad news. Up to this point, all this has been announced by a herald. We've been awakened by the watchman on the wall. And they want you to know about one person in particular, the servant. Are you ready? Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15. This is God the Father speaking. He says, see, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Well, that certainly sounds like good news, doesn't it? Verse 14, uh uh-oh. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. Well, this certainly sounds like bad news now, doesn't it? And then verse 15, so he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For they will see what had not been told them. And they will understand what they had not heard. So verse 13 seems to be good news. And isn't it interesting sometimes how good news can morph and change into bad news so verse 13 sounds like good news but is it good news in verse 14 that sounds like really bad news but but is it really bad news it sounds horrifying god the father says to the servant just as many were appalled at you his appearance was so disfigured that he didn't even look like a man he didn't even look like a human being. And then verse 15 seems to be good news. If kings see it, and this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 49 when the suffering servant is introduced. In Isaiah chapter 49 verse 7, this is the Lord again speaking to his servant. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, the Holy One, says to one who is despised. Says to one who people were appalled at. Says to one whose appearance was so disfigured he didn't even look like a man. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, says to one who is despised, to one who is abhorred by the people, to a servant of rulers. This is what the Father says to the servant. Kings will see. Princes will bow down. They will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. And He has chosen you. This may be the most important passage in the entire Old Testament. Because the servant is Jesus Christ. This passage, Isaiah chapter 52, especially verses 13 through 15, we've been building to this all the way through the book of Isaiah. We've seen the introduction of the servant in Isaiah chapter 49. We've seen the descriptions of the servant. We've seen the apparent contradictions of how he will be treated. He will be honored and yet he will be disfigured. He will be recognized yet he will not be seen. He will be hidden. 
We see that Isaiah is building to this point, and here we are in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, and we're really just getting ready for Isaiah 53. The quintessential good news, bad news passage in the entire Bible. Uh, the year is 2019. Right now, today, 2019. You know what was going on in Tennessee a hundred years ago? 1919? Well, the historians are automatically doing some calculations and they're thinking, well, that's about a year after World War I ended, that's correct. And Tennessee's own Sergeant Alvin York, our Medal of Honor winner, returned to Tennessee in 1919 and the state of Tennessee gave him a home. That was a hundred years ago. Seems like a long time ago, though, doesn't it? Well, what about 1819? What was going on in 1819? Well, that was 200 years ago. Tennessee had been a state for all of 23 years. How about 1719? That was 300 years ago. Do you know what was going on in Tennessee? One fort had been established, Fort Lick, which later became known as Nashville. That was 300 years ago. 400 years ago, 1619 really don't know anything that's going on in Tennessee. Tennessee is a vast wilderness populated by the Cherokee Indians. Jamestown has been established now for a couple years. In 1619, 400 years ago, the very first slaves arrive on the North American continent and slavery is introduced. That was 400 years ago. Does that seem like a long time back to you? How about 1319 right here? Any idea what was going on? I have no idea. That was 700 years ago. That was a long time ago. We don't really know what was going on here, but hundreds of years before Jamestown and Fort Lick or Nashville and Tennessee becoming a state and World War I, hundreds of years ago, 700 years ago. Now I want you to think with me. Think, think about this. What if someone... 700 years ago had been here and prophesied with amazing specificity how a certain person would live, suffer, and die, and why that person would live, suffer, and die. Can you imagine? But that is exactly what happened in Isaiah 52 53 because this passage this prophecy was spoken 700 years before Jesus. It's amazing. This 700 year prophecy and its fulfillment is no big deal for God. But for man, it's out of the question. It's like asking the sun to stand still. It's not going to happen unless God is involved. And that's exactly why you should come to the conclusion that this prophecy as given by Isaiah, who is a herald, who is serving as a watchman, who is telling us the good news about the servant, Jesus, this prophecy is 100% a God thing. In the Old Testament, we have the herald. We have the watchman. We have Isaiah 52 and 53 that tells us about the servant. In the New Testament, the herald is John the Baptist. The watchman are the disciples. And the servant is Jesus Christ. And today, 
We are the heralds because we know the good news. We are the watchmen. We have to warn people about what's about to happen. The king is coming. Are you ready? A herald tells good news. A watchman warns people of what's happening. But it's really not about us. It's all because of the servant, the king. You know, Jesus knew his role in the Father's plan. I want you to look at that last focal passage now. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, down at the bottom of your page. And I want you to remember now that this is one Jew talking to another Jew. This is one Jewish rabbi talking to another Jewish rabbi. And this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And this is what he says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now you know, you want to cut Nicodemus some slack here because he's listening to this and and he's probably not understanding that when Jesus says the Son of Man must be lifted up, Maybe Nicodemus is like us. Maybe Nicodemus is going back to Isaiah 52 and he's remembering it because this is so similar when Isaiah says that the servant must be exalted, must be raised and lifted up and every eye will see him. Maybe Nicodemus is thinking, well, that's talking about exaltation. That's talking about how, wow, the Son of God is going to be, he's going to be on display for everyone to see and everyone will recognize who he is. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about being lifted up on the cross. He's going to be exalted, all right, to his death. He's going to be on that cross and they're going to lift that cross up and everybody there is going to be able to see him die in shame, suffering, abandoned by the Father. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I gotta tell you, for years and years, I'd read that passage in the Old Testament about the snake being lifted up, and I'm going, I don't get it. Why would why would God tell Moses to put a snake, a disgusting snake, a snake who was the instrument of the people's death because they were being bitten by serpents and they were dying? From the snake bite. Why would God have Moses put a snake on that bronze pole and and hold it up? Why would he do that? That just makes no sense to me. And then why would he say, look to the snake? That just seems like it, it just flies against everything God would say or do. I mean, you've been bitten by a snake. Do you want to look at a snake? Even if it's a bronze snake, do you want to do that? No, that's the instrument of your death. Well, who wants to look at a cross? Who wants to look at a man hanging on the cross? You mean that man who is dying on that cross is my salvation? I don't think so. Many, many people say, no, no, that's not for me. The preaching of the cross to the 
Gentiles is foolishness, but to the Jews it's a stumbling block. They don't want to look at a Messiah who has been pinned to a cross, dying for them. That's not salvation the way they envisioned it, but it's salvation the way God envisioned it. He sent His Son, the suffering servant, to die for us. Who can fathom it? And this is the way that God shows His love to us. He gave His one and only Son. He did what He didn't make Abraham do. So that everyone who believes in Him... You know, in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, all you had to do was look at the snake on the pole. In essence, you were saying, I believe what I've been told. I'm going to look at the snake. It may not make total sense to me, but I'm going to do it. And for your salvation, that's all you got to do. you got to look at the man on the cross. Believe. Here's the thing about the gospel. It's good news. But as so often happens, good news can turn into bad news. Because if you don't act on that good news, if you don't respond to Christ in faith, then judgment comes. And you get to spend eternity away from Him. And that's bad news. The good news is, God so loved you that He gave His only Son for you. You're going to take Him up on His offer? It's the best news of all. Father, we thank You for this passage. We thank You, Lord, for um, making all this happen 700 years um, before Jesus walked the face of the earth. You gave this message to Isaiah. So, um, so his people, Isaiah's people, Jesus' people, would know that the suffering servant was going to come and he would in fact suffer. And that his uh, appearance would be so marred and disfigured that people wouldn't, would look at him and not even be sure if it was a man. And he did that all for us. That's the good news. Father, you didn't withhold your own son, but you made him an offering, a blood sacrifice for us. And we thank you for the good news of the gospel. In your name we pray, Jesus.